good. Oh, good. Um, so she, um, I mean, I'll, I'll let her kind of tell more of her story, but uh, uh, just got to meet her at, actually, at this, at the Worship Coalition Worship Writing Retreat up in Big Fork uh, almost two years ago. Two years, yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, ever since then, she's been a really good friend. So actually, if you remember her, she came and helped trim those bushes out there a couple of springs ago. That's right. And, <laughs> and so, uh, or, or last, no, it was a couple, couple of falls ago. So. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so it's just, it's a wonderful uh, blessing and privilege to welcome Mindy Espinosa to preach for us this morning. Um, there's some, some friends. Uh, so actually, I would love to actually acknowledge that this is, so Jim Kena. He's in the back here, so he well, served faithfully for, what, 30 years, 20-something years at uh, Ephri in Bozeman, uh, got to know him in that context, and then he's now the, uh, was it the pastoral relations, is that still the thing? It's pastoral theology, teaches pastoral theology at Yellowstone Theological Institute, and uh, it's just a wonderful honor, thank you so much, Jim, for joining us this morning, uh, it's a great honor to have you here this morning. Um, and so she's taking a class with Jim Kena at YTI, and part of it is to preach a sermon. So I want to give her a wonderful opportunity to preach uh, for brothers and sisters who love her and are excited for what God is going to do in your life. So let me pray for you as you, as you get started. God, I just thank you so much for Mindy. God, I thank you for the blessing of her friendship. And God, thank you so much for the work that you have done and, and are doing and will always do in her life. God, I pray your Holy Spirit uh, upon her right now in this moment to preach through her, to God, to speak your words uh, to us here this morning and, and give us receiving, receptive, and, and open hearts and minds to receive what your spirit would have to say to us through here, through your servant, Mindy, here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. Is this, is this working? I can't hear. I can't. Is that hard enough? Is that, is that better? Oh. One more time. <laughs> all right, all right. Can you hear me? <laughs> oh, I hear me. Wow, that's weird. <laughs> Alan, thank you. Um, thank you all for having me here, and um, I appreciate your willingness to let me speak to you. Alan, you know, his introduction and letting you know that I'd just taken a class, he gave it away that, <laughs> you know, I was hoping to stand up here and have you all think that I have done this a million times before, so... Maybe at the end of it all, you'll, you'll be able to tell me how it went. <laughs> so how many of you have ever experienced confusion? Anybody? I mean, for me, it can be on a daily basis, especially if I don't have coffee. <laughs> Anybody experience discouragement ever? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been down sometimes. Fear, maybe? Not knowing what's ahead, just doubts and uncertainty. We can experience all of these things at different points in our life. And as we do, it's, it's easy sometimes to get on a, a path of just kind of despair and to stay in the ruts of that road if we get into that and let it just stay in us in a little bit more serious and a longer period of time, just hoping that something will change. Has anybody been there before? We're a little bit stuck, just hoping that something will change. So I have a question for you. How can our paths be changed by close encounters with Jesus, even when we can't see him? Let me pray for us. I've prayed a lot, but I'm praying again. <laughs> God, I, I thank you so much for 
your presence here this morning in worship um, for the fellowship and family that is clearly here in this church. I thank you for these pastors that are present that are willing to share your word with us all the time and for all the people in this room that have come to meet with you today. And God, I ask you to please be with all of us. Please let the things that we speak and hear today honor you and receive our worship. God, we love you so much, and I ask you to please let us always keep that desire and love for you in our hearts, even as we leave this room today, as we go throughout our week, that we can remember how it felt as we worshiped and learned of you. We love you, God, and say this in Jesus' name. Amen. So about two years ago, I was listening to a sermon, and the pastor asked a question. What is at the center of your life? I thought about that, and I wrote down in in my journal, I often journal, I wrote down in my journal two things. One is that I want to know Jesus, like really know him. And two was that I didn't want to lose number one. I wanted to keep that desire with me always. That I want you to think about that as I tell you a little bit about my story and how um, so that moment of just desperately wanting to know him and never wanting to lose it, just about two months before I had written those words down in this journal, I was in a totally different place. Um, I definitely was not pursuing the presence of God. <laughs> I was definitely pursuing other things in life, um, but not the presence of God. I thought I had it all worked out. I was doing well at work, doing well in my family. Everything seemed great. I did not need anything bigger or stronger or mightier than me, that I was at the center of my life. Going back a little further from that, um, if I start way back, (laughs) I grew up Mormon, LDS, um, until I was about 15 years old. And when I left the LDS faith, it wasn't with animosity or anger or frustration. It was just I didn't believe those things and then grew over the next year or so, so about the time I was 16, 17, I was pretty harsh atheist. I was not just indifferent to God, but absolutely, there's no God, and I'm going to seek to prove it in every way that I can. Yep, wrote papers, whole nine yards. <laughs> Thought I was real smart at university. Um, God has a way of changing our minds about things. So I went on that course for about four years, and then something happened. My firstborn son, um, he passed away at at birth. And as I was holding him, it felt like someone was holding me. And there was a piece that there's nothing I had ever experienced and nothing I could ever explain that could explain away as we often do when we're trying to say there's no God, right? We try to justify or qualify that there's not by saying, ah, that was probably just. (laughs) There was no probably justing this away. There, there was a clear and present peace around me. Um, after that, I could no longer say that there was no God. Um, for a short period of time, I was kind of curious and pursued the thought of God a little bit, like, hmm, maybe, what can I find? And then as time wore on and life wore on and relationships wore on and all of those things, I passed all that by and came to a place where I wouldn't really actively say there was God, 
but I wouldn't absolutely say there wasn't. So if you walked up to me and said, do you believe in God? I'm not a liar. So I'd say, ah, there's definitely a higher power. You know, all the, all the words <laughs> that the world attributes to God, right? Something out there. Um, so that's where I was about 20 years ago for all those 20 years. And then two years ago, I had another experience that would change my course. Um, I had a dream unlike any other I'd had before, and it would not let me sleep again until I just reached out. At the end of my dream, I'd said the word God, surprisingly to me, <laughs> um, which prompted me to just reach out and ask someone, what, what about this God guy? <laughs> and when I did, he, he spoke to me in a way like, from his experience, and he shared his experience with me. So, so much like me, as I started down my path a couple of years ago, um, I still thought I knew a little more than I did. The disciples we're going to talk about today thought they knew a lot more about the reality of their circumstances than what they later realized through their encounter with Jesus. So let's take a look at what happened when these other disciples long ago had a close encounter with Jesus that changed everything. <laughs> We're going to be in Luke 24, verses 13 through 36. So just days before, I'm going to give you a little background because we're not going to read the entire chapter, but just days before this encounter with the disciples happened, Jesus had been crucified. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Joanna went to the tomb to see, to, to prepare his body. And when they got there, they realized that he was not there. And this obviously shocked them. And an angel came and said, he's not there. He is risen. So they went back and told the other, told the 11 what they had experienced. The 11 couldn't believe that either, especially not without seeing it for themselves. So a couple of them ran off to go and check the tomb. And when they got there, what'd they find? (laughs) Nothing. It was, nothing was there, save for a few strips of linen. So, of course, they're astounded and shocked by this. And I'm going to quote this. I'm going to read this um, because it it surprises me that even to those whom Jesus had spoken these words, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified again, and on the third day be raised again. Even those that sat with him in that over a long period of time and heard him say it again and again and again still couldn't believe it, right? Right? They're like, what's going on? I have no idea how this could possibly be, even though he told them he would be raised again. So I could imagine that the days following the crucifixion were probably filled with a lot of despair. Like imagine a time in life where you have had the highest of expectations and then been brought down to the lowest of lows. So I imagine that must have been a really troubling time for them. And now, you know, three days later, They find themselves searching and not knowing what's happened to Jesus. And these two disciples on the road find themselves walking in in great despair. Now, the road to Emmaus, it was about seven miles. There are, I I researched this a lot over the last few weeks. Thank you, Professor. (laughs) The the road to Emmaus is about a seven-mile road. It's no longer a road today. It's been covered up by different things and paths and cities, but, but it went from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And the path from Jerusalem back to Emmaus would have been a downhill grade, wouldn't have been a challenging walk. That time of year, it would have been about 85 degrees, so like 
yesterday. <laughs> it's kind of hot, <laughs> but not bad. It wasn't, it wasn't too bad. So they could, you know, walk down this road. It would have been relatively wide. There would have been people passing in both directions. It was well-traveled between two cities. So they're walking down this path. It's not a struggle. They're not fighting for their lives to hike. They're having a talk. And as they're talking, I, don't, I just wonder, what must they have been thinking, right? Like, are they thinking, are we crazy? <laughs> what just happened to us these past couple of years? We believed this man. We thought he was our Savior and our Messiah, and he's not here. Like, are we nuts? <laughs> are we wrong? Were we wrong about this? Like, if anyone's ever had moments of question in their faith, are we wrong? I, I don't think we are. <laughs> and they know we aren't. <laughs> so let's follow their story. We're going to get back to the question. As we confront those hard times, and that question I asked you, how can close encounters with Jesus help us stay on a pathway of hope instead of despair? And to answer that question, I want to focus on three critical aspects of turning an encounter with Jesus into a relationship with Jesus. We don't leave it at encounter. We develop it into a relationship with Jesus. How do we develop any relationship? We talk, we listen, and we invite. So let's dig into the first point. <laughs> We're going to talk about talking. Let's look at verses 13 through 18. Yay, it worked. (laughs) Now that same day, (laughs) now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Are you the only one? So I probably wouldn't have been surprised by someone joining. Like I said, it's a well-traversed road. But they did seem surprised that this stranger would have no idea what was happening over the past few days. Their reaction, like, are you the only one, seems something to me like what might have happened to any one of us if we had run into someone on September 14th, 2001, and they had no idea what had happened on 9-11. Just how could you not know what had happened? So they they were talking to him, and he was listening. So he asked... All right. If it scans like five more slides, let me know. He asked, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deep before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this happened. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. They said, we had hoped. We had hoped. 
That doesn't sound very hopeful, right? It sounds like they've written it off. They had hoped he would redeem Israel. That and their downcast faces and their comments, but they did not see Jesus, speaking of the men who went to the tomb, would suggest that they're out of hope. They've, they've lost their hope. And, and kind of make you wonder, what did they hear when Jesus had told them all the things that he was going to do? What, what did they actually hear? Sometimes we listen and we don't actually hear. How, how did they miss it? So I understand if this had happened to me and I had all my hope in the Savior and then all hope was lost, I would have some serious, now what? <laughs> that would be on my tongue all night. All night. I did this and this and this, but now what? What have I given? What have I done? And in a moment of real vulnerability, they shared the circumstances of all that had happened. So I say vulnerability, not just, we use that term sometimes a lot. I use vulnerability not just in the term of like emotionally I'm sad and I'm expressing that, but in actual vulnerability. This time that they're in, they had been worshiping a forbidden king. Like they're still under Roman occupancy. They have religious zealots around that want to kill them. They have religious leaders that want to imprison them. They have political power just crashing, like breaking like waves against these, power, these followers, and they're uncertain. So these, these disciples, they shared with him their discouragement and their doubt as they talked to Jesus, and he listened to them, obviously, because when you hear his response. <laughs> so they talked to him. The second way to turn an encounter into a life-changing relationship is to listen. So the stranger answers them in a manner that seems to surprise them. In verses 25 to 27, um, in verse 25 to 27, he says to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. We need to be prepared to listen for God in unexpected ways. Just as the two disciples on the road did not anticipate who they would be talking to that day, we might be really surprised by the encounters that we end up having with God. So... We need to be prepared to listen. Let's just look at a couple of other examples of people who listened for God, maybe didn't know they were listening for God, and encountered him in different ways. The Old Testament prophet Elijah saw an encounter with God. In 1 Kings 19.11, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. A powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered rocks, but the Lord was not in the wind. Then there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. The Lord came in a gentle whisper. Not in an earthquake, not in a fire. And when I read this, I picture him like, this must be it. God is speaking and everything is shaking. Not wind, not earthquake, not fire. A gentle whisper, God came to him. Let's look at Acts 9. Paul encounters Jesus 
on the road to Damascus. And when he did, there was a loud flash, and it was so loud and bright that it knocked him to the ground, and he couldn't see for days. And a blinding flash. That was not a gentle whisper. (laughs) And the man on the cross next to Jesus insulted him. He tore him down. But then later, he asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom. I am certain that that man on the cross was listening when Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. We also need to be prepared to listen in expected ways. So there's the unexpected and the expected. God's unchanging word is such a beautiful gift by which we get the opportunity to listen to him. You guys, most of you, many of you have it in front of you. We have his word that he has given us, and that is exactly what Jesus uses to talk to these disciples. He goes straight to the word. Now, I can't be certain which scripture Jesus Sorry, let me know when it pops up. (laughs) I can't be certain which scripture Jesus used um, to explain this to them, but here are just a couple of examples. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 53, 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53, 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. So Jesus replies to the disciples going straight to Scripture. It's a great example of how we need to be, right? You have a question, we pray, we listen, we go to the Word. And when we're answering questions in life for other people, too, Where's a great way to point them? Let's follow Jesus' example and go straight to the word. He assures them through biblical truth, and he shows them everything that was spoken about him, everything that identified him as the Messiah. We, too, have that ability, and we also have the ability to listen to him in spirit. And we'll get to this verse a little later, but I want to touch on it now. In verse 32, they say, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So... (laughs) Through the spirit and the truth of his word, we can hear him. That spirit, the the spirit that he left with us, is exactly that same spirit that those disciples encountered on the road to Emmaus all those years ago. We have the opportunity to confidently walk in the presence of the spirit and receive confirmation of the biblical truth, and we get comfort from that same spirit that caused their heart to burn. And we don't even have to be walking down a road (laughs) when it's hot (laughs) at night. We'll we'll get into that. (laughs) So all of our problems, I'm I'm not suggesting that all of our problems go away because we talk to Jesus and we listen to him. These disciples, they're still on the road. They're still walking down a road under Roman occupancy. They're at risk of losing their life to zealots. They're still dealing with Pharisees and religious people criticizing what they've done. I mean, their, their problems didn't just go, boom, it's all gone. They're still on the road. But problems, they look very different when you're walking with the knowledge and hope in a risen Savior. 
Our problems look so different when we're walking with the knowledge and the hope of our risen Savior and with his spirit as our companion. Frederick Buchner says in The Magnificent Defeat, there is a God right here in the thick of our day-to-day lives who may not be writing messages about himself in the stars, but in one way or another is trying to get messages through our blindness as we move around down here, knee-deep in the fragrant much and misery and marvel of the world. It is not objective proof of God's existence that we want, but the experience of God's presence. That is the miracle we are really after, and that is also, I think, the miracle that we really get. So we've, we've talked, we've listened. Part, what, uh, the third part that I'm going to talk about of our experience with encounters is to invite. The third part of changing those encounters to deep relationship is inviting in. So let's see what happens in verses 28 through 32. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. They urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? We're not our hearts burning within us. Those two disciples on the road, they're not the most notable figures in the Bible. As kids growing up, you probably didn't sit eagerly in class to hear about Cleopas and that other guy. (laughs) They're, They're not really mentioned much, aside from this encounter and a brief description of them in Mark 16. And in fact, I'm not really 100%... We think it's the same guys, but all that references is two of them while they were walking in the country. So there's not a whole lot of identification of these fellows, right? Similar to that, Jesus' selection of his apostles. Who did he pick? He chose tax collector. He chose fisherman. He chose a zealot. <laughs> so he, he had some interesting choices <laughs> that probably... Not everyone would have agreed with, right? He sat down to dinner with people who were socially unacceptable. He healed people who were spiritually and emotionally unclean. I think those examples and the example of these two relatively unknown disciples can really lay a path for us to deeply understand that he is the savior of all who receive him. He is the savior of all who receive him. He chose to walk with them on that road. He chose to listen to them. He chose to talk to them and to teach them. He accepted their invitation to come in. Yeah. He, all they had to do was ask. He was going to go on. All they had to do was ask. He accepted their invitation, and then he showed himself to them. He won't invite himself in. He'll listen to us, he'll teach us, he'll reassure us, just like he did with them, through his word and through his spirit, but we have to invite him in. The disciples didn't say to themselves, oh, good, he's continuing on, off the hook for dinner. (laughs) 
I didn't want to cook tonight. <laughs> or if he really wanted to come in, he would have, right? We can, we can sometimes do that in our lives without even meaning to. If he really wanted to come in, he would have. No, he won't come in. You have to invite him in. And that is his kindness and his love for us. That is why he is that way. In kindness and his love for us. He allows us to invite him in. They invited him in and then he entered. And then they saw him and could acknowledge that burning in their hearts. The choices that we make every day are much like the disciples inviting Jesus in. They lead to either love and joy or missing it. You can have love and joy and experience an encounter with Jesus or not. The decisions that we make impact that. Let me be clear here. We are saved when we receive Jesus as our Savior. And we acknowledge that it is by his grace alone that we are saved through faith. In that decision, we get to experience salvation. And in that decision, we get to experience an eternity with him. But there are choices that we make every single day that are more or less inviting to deep encounter and relationship with Jesus. These choices that we make, it can be a moment or a lifetime of decision that leads up to this, up to choosing relationship and constant encounter with him. In John 14, 21, Jesus says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I also will love them and show myself to them. He goes on just two verses later and says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will make our home with them. We will come to them and make our home with them. And in John, 1 John 3, 23 through 24, And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us, by the spirit that he gave us. Our obedience to the commands that he has given us, loving God and loving others, can be our invitation, asking Jesus to come in. I love how he made it so simple. Every decision I make, I can say, does this look like loving God? Does this look like loving others? And once I make that decision, I can experience encounter with Jesus. In his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, Brennan Manning says this, Consider this. If Jesus sat at your dining table tonight and laid out your whole life, your whole life story, the miserable recurring sins, the hidden agenda, the skeletons in the closet, the dark desires known only to yourself, you would still experience joy, peace, and acceptance in his presence. He could lay out the worst of everything that only you know or you think only you know. That's not a burden you have to carry. He will bring you joy and peace and acceptance in his presence. Even when we can't actually see him, right? These, these disciples were talking to him and they were listening to him. They couldn't see him. Even when we can't see him, we can be experiencing close encounter with Jesus. Remember our examples of listening for God earlier with Elijah, the prophet Elijah, with Paul in Acts and the man on the cross? What happened to them 
after their encounters. Those were encounters we talked about. Were their lives changed as that encounter turned into a relationship? Elijah remained faithful to God through discouragement and adversity. He experienced the presence of God. I would suggest that that would change you. (laughs) Paul, the scales were removed. Well, he started out as Saul for one thing, so there's a great change. Saul became Paul. (laughs) To the degree as a new Christian, I was thoroughly confused. (laughs) We were just talking about Saul. What? God gave him change. The scales were taken from his eyes, and he went out and lived an entirely different life, a life of sacrifice and love for God, undying love to his death for his God. The man on the cross on the very day he asked was with Jesus in paradise. All of those lives were changed. I think these disciples, their lives were changed too. Let's take a look at what happened to them after the encounter with Jesus. In verses, 20, or in verses 33 through 36, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And this is, let's, let's go back to that road. Seven miles now uphill in the dark, because after their evening meal. So they're in the dark running uphill seven miles. During COVID, I was like, I have to go back to the car to get my mask? <laughs> I mean, that was a long walk. <laughs> Seven miles <laughs> back, back to Jerusalem in the dark, probably a dangerous path. I would suggest that that would indicate some change. <laughs> there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Imagine that moment when they're testifying of our risen Savior and he shows up again. (laughs) I told (laughs) you. I mean, how beautiful is that? We don't get a long-term follow-up for the disciples on the road, so I can't tell you how the rest of their lives turned out, but... I think you can bet that everything had changed for them in those moments. All of that doubt and despair, despair, and for moments later on in life, they got to see this huge flip, right? That that anything with God, anything is possible. How can that not change you? Henry Nouwen says in the book, Here and Now, those who the world has made into victims, God has chosen to be bearers of good news. That's where those two disciples found themselves, right? They were victims when they started out down that path. They were, like, crushed by the weight of all that had happened. (laughs) God was not going to leave them that way. They got to be the bearers of the best news, the good news, (laughs) the good news, the original. (laughs) For all of us, I knew you were going to go there. (laughs) For all of us, the painful things of the past, their negative power, All of that can cease to matter much except to tell the story of how we found our way here, right now. Everything that has happened to you, that you have done, it can all cease to exist except to just know that it brought you to here, where you love him and you believe in him. Those things don't have to be loaded with pain, anger, bitterness, frustration. They're just stepping stones laced with gratitude. The sad circumstances those disciples had been dealing with in the previous days and hours brought them to the precise moment 
where they would share a walk with Jesus. Me too. (laughs) You too. The stones I've stumbled on have been the same ones that paid my way to God, and I couldn't see it then as things were happening, but he's been laying out this road for a long time. (laughs) Those experiences from way back when, they were literally just stones to jump to to get to where I got to love my God. I got to know my God. I get to get into relationship with my Savior. All through just experiencing deeper, deeper encounters through talking to him and listening to him and feeling him and inviting him in. On January 27th, 2021, I encountered Jesus for the first time ever. That happened through the testimony of another who had once upon a time encountered Jesus through the testimony of someone else. That testament that those disciples ran back up the road, right? He had that encounter, and then he brought that to me, and I will bring it to whoever God will put in my path. I love him. (laughs) On January 27th, I didn't believe on January 28th, my life was unrecognizably different, <laughs> as though I had turned around on a road and just started running <laughs> in the dark, I might add. <laughs> Everything since has been totally different. It is so much simpler. I, I mean, he gave two commandments, love God, love Jesus. That wipes out so many stacks of things I have to do all day. <laughs> it's simpler, but it's not easier, right? I'm still under Roman occupancy pharisaical revenge, (laughs) zealots. I'm still living that life. I'm still here on earth. But it's so much simpler because in him everything has changed. This God I once kicked against and criticized is now the one I love the most. I wouldn't have been caught dead saying God's name in public. In fact, when I asked this pastor I talked to about God, I actually whispered it. I said some other words loudly that I would now not say. (laughs) But when I said God, I was like, God, God, can we talk about God? (laughs) And now, obviously, all I want to do is is yell his name. Every one of us can have those close encounters with Jesus. Some of us have, and some of us maybe have and just don't know it yet. Maybe you've been walking down the road, you've been talking and listening, and you're just kind of at the threshold of your door, deciding whether or not to invite him in. I would say, if you're almost ready to invite him in, do it. Don't delay. You will not regret it. (laughs) As you walk along your path, whether you're in the depths of discouragement and confusion or the heights of joy and peace, talk to him. Tell him what confounds you. Tell him what disappoints you. Tell him the points you struggle with in your faith. He won't be insulted, and he definitely won't be surprised. (laughs) The very men that he chose as his disciples, as his apostles, saw all of these things, and were still like, "Eh, guess we're done. (laughs) He won't be surprised. He will love you. Talk to him. Listen to him. He will teach you in spirit and in truth. That, That book, oh, man, the Bible surprises me every day. I'm like, I've read this verse 15 times, and why is it different today? But it is. It answers today's questions. And invite him in with your whole heart. You will learn to know that he is there. 
and you will learn to recognize what his voice sounds like above everyone else. Invite him in, and someday you will see him. I'll close with this testimony. Jesus asks his disciples in Luke 9.20, But what about you? Who do you say I am? I say that he is, not was, but he is, and that he lives presently risen. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. (laughs) He came. He came because he loved us, right? He died because he loved us, and he came back because he loves us. Nothing separates us. Nothing separates you from the love of God. He sent his son. God sent his son for our redemption and the Holy Spirit to be our constant companion. And he will always be present with us for those who invite. He answers our prayers. His love is overwhelming. With some of his last words, Jesus said to the man next to him on the cross, he didn't, he didn't tell me how to prove his faith. He didn't tell me how to get down and go do a list of things. He he told him, today you will be with me in paradise. What we do, that first time we really encounter Jesus, we talk to him, we listen to him, and we invite him in. We get to do that every day. We get to do it again and again and again and again to stay in constant encounter with our risen Savior. So even though you don't see him right now, talk to him, listen to him, and invite him in. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity we all had to be here today in worship. And thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for your son that he has given us a way, a way home to you. We love you. We ask that we can find our way to you every day choose you every day that we can talk to you and listen to you and invite you in every day and that our choices will show you a welcome invitation into the home of our heart god we love you and say this in jesus name amen